so glad to be able to be talking about something so important this morning. Uh, I've uh, titled this sermon in this beautiful uh, series, complicated, it's complicated, The Danger of Passive Parenting, because uh, it's complicated when we're looking at the life of such an influential figure such as David. And uh, let's, I wanted you to know just a little bit more about who you're talking to here. Um, I grew up, well, let me just first introduce my family. Desiree is my wife here, and, and she's... Um, Carrying our, our number three, our, our third child, and so um, yeah. whatever you need, sweetie, you, you know, you call me from the stage, I'm here for you, okay? Uh, and then we have my firstborn, Amara, there, uh, and then my secondborn there, uh, Justice, in the house. Um, but let me give you a little bit more background here, more than you asked for, okay? Um, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and for any of you all that don't know where that is, that's located in the western hemisphere of the globe, uh, in, a, in the lower 48. Um, uh, in a place called Missouri in the middle of the country, okay? Uh, but I grew up in St. Louis, in, uh, otherwise known as the Gateway City. And I think that uh, as we're discussing this topic today, um, it's likely a topic that will have, I think, one of the greatest impacts, certainly on my entire life, and I think that it will have this greatest impact on your life as well because of how important the topic is. Growing up in St. Louis, I idolized my father. I idolized him. There was nothing he could do wrong. I idolized him, and not to considering that he was a Golden Glove boxer. He was an Olympic trial boxer. He grew up in the same project development uh, that produced the likes of the Spinks brothers. That's Michael Spinks fighting there uh, as the heavyweight champion of the world against Mike Tyson. Uh, if you want to know how the story goes, Mike Tyson won that fight. Uh, but this is who my father grew up with and, and fighting, and he was a, a decorated boxer himself. Oh, we loved him. But in all the great things that I could describe about my father's accomplishments and his accolades, I have to tell you that this morning, that growing up, I must say that, that my feelings, the feelings of admiration turned to feelings of anger. And in feelings of, of, of pride in my father, it turned to feelings of pain due to this one word that explains why I never felt comfortable with calling him anything other than his first name. And that word is passivity. My father is passive. And, and, and it's not simply, um, well, what do I mean by passive, brother? But it's, it's not just um, the fact that he wasn't around. There's other implications of that. But passivity is not reacting visibly to something that might be expected to produce manifestations of an emotion or a feeling. It's, it's not participating readily or actively. In other words, it means inactive, not meaningfully there. And that was how I related to my father as I got older. And I love the fact that you guys are going through the life of one of the most beloved people in the history of Israel, in the world, in, in Scripture, David, in the fact that it is about the fact that it is complicated. As after all, when you read in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, you see this scripture here that David is described as a man after God's own heart, which means that he's known for his, his life's commitment to give everything to God. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm here, and, and I know that I'm broken, and Lord, would you fix me? Help me, Lord. You read it in his life through the Psalms. You read his life as it unfolds, and, and David's not going to hide anything. He's not trying to hide who he is. It's bare before everyone. And perhaps he's known 
as a man after God's own heart, also because uh, he was so intimately aware of his own sins and his desperate need for God. And one of those desperate needs, those major sins that we see in David's life is David as a father. David didn't always get it right, and this is one of the major ways that David did not get it right. It's complicated. In one chapter, he's described as a man after God's own heart, and then in the two chapters later, we're going to see something very important, or excuse me, in the second Samuel, we're going to see something very important in the very description, a very important description about his life. And, and I want to say that as we're looking at this, uh, we see this, this prophecy, and this is our text for this morning. You see a prophecy because of a sin that David had committed, and he tried to hide, and the Lord brought it to bear, and David writes about it in Psalm 51. Uh, but uh, you guys are going to talk more about Bathsheba in the weeks to come. But in 2 Samuel 12.10, uh, this is really the, the text that we're coming from this morning. It says here, the prophet Nathan goes to David to expose a great a grievous sin that he had committed, and this is what Nathan says. He says that, Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your, your wife. You've taken a man's wife and you put him on the front lines in, in war. I think there's one principle that we already learned from this. The first principle that I want us to see here before we even go to our main points here is that, listen, one thing we learned in looking at David's life here is that personal, unaddressed sin in the dark manifests itself in the spotlight of parenting. You, you, you can't hide it. And one thing I learned early on in, in, my, in my studies is that, listen, those things in our lives that we can't name, those things in our lives that, that, we, that we won't be, that we're not willing to even address, those things don't just go away. As a matter of fact, they tend to control us. David had something that happened in, in his life here with his sin and taking another man's wife, and that thing, it didn't go away. But as a matter of fact, it manifests itself in the spotlight of parenting. And, and, and how did it manifest itself? Let me just give you a, a good sense of how it manifests itself. When you read 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 15, you see this uh, laying out there what's happening in this man's life as he's dealing with all the pain that's, that comes from his sin. Because there's consequences to, to sin. And, and God is still loving David, and David is still a man after God's own heart, but there's still some real stuff he has to deal with. And so when you're looking at this and you see this family drama that's unfolding, it looks like it's coming out of a modern-day tabloid when you're looking at what's happening in his life. Uh, let me uh, give you a synopsis of what's actually going on in David's life. Well, David, uh, he has the, the children, and when David is, um, uh, when he has uh, Amnon, his firstborn, he also has a daughter, Tamar, and he has Absalom. Well, what happens? David's daughter, Tamar, is violated by her half-brother, Amnon, which means that he violates her. He, he um, takes advantage of her. He rapes her. Very harsh and, and horrible thing that happened. And, and it's this reminder of this internal wickedness that existed in the hearts even of David's children. And what happens is that when you read it, it's so horrible, is that, that this man, he even treats her as if she's responsible for what he did to her because it's, the scripture says that after he did this thing, he says that he, he hated her. He hated her likely because uh, he's projecting on her his own sin. So you, ever, you ever been in that situation? 
someone, they did something wicked to you, and then all of a sudden they begin to treat you as if you did something wrong? He's projecting. And, and so this happens with, with Tamar, and Amnon is David's firstborn, and Amnon goes undisciplined. We'll go on and we'll talk about this a little bit, because some of us, I know, it's like, well, wait a minute, if David was willing to, to do that and allow that, well, what type of man can we follow? What type of example is this? We'll talk about that. And then not only do you see that, you see uh, Absalom, her full brother, Tamar's full brother. Oh, he is angry. He grows bitter. And the scripture tells us here that because Amnon goes undisciplined in this, uh, in this crime against his sister, his half-sister, uh, it says here that in verse 22 of chapter 13, 2 Samuel, it says, Absalom never said a word to Amnon. He never even said anything, uh, which that's probably the da- most dangerous type of anger. It's like, I'm not even going to tell you. It, it just grew within him, and it says that he never said anything, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Scripture tells us this, that sin begets sin, and it keeps on growing when it's unaddressed. Translation, unaddressed issues in our lives breeds more issues. Can I get a witness to that? Yeah. It's, and here's the thing, he says, and I learned this in life. It says, uh, once again, that this is something that's starting to control David and is starting to work itself out and manifest in his parenting. Absalom is going to eventually, if I can summarize it this way, he's going to seek uh, revenge, and he avenges his sister by killing his brother. That's what he did. He killed his brother. Had his brother killed, rather. And then Absalom, is, is, is he goes away, and then for four years, he's not in the favor of David. He killed his firstborn. David's going to allow him to come back. And then Absalom, he starts a coup against his father, David. And then you have Absalom is eventually killed, but David didn't want his son killed. But he's eventually killed by one of David's servants. And then you even see the great Solomon is going to follow in some of the examples of the ways in which his father failed, and he sees it even in his own life. There, this is evidence of, of what Nathan said, that, listen, the sword will never leave your home because of this great evil, which tells us that God takes sin very seriously. And listen, before I just make this practical and see what this means for our own life, uh, perhaps your own personal story of fathering, or perhaps you're the, the child of something uh, that is just as scandalous as this. And maybe it's not. Maybe you can't necessarily uh, relate to this personally. However, I do want to say, or maybe you don't think you can, but I do want to say, regardless of where you are and where you're coming from, these are three areas of paternal passivity we all can learn from by observing David's failures as a father in order to avoid those same failures in our own lives. There's something here for us in watching David. Do not forget that leaders, and all leaders for all time, with the exception of Christ himself, they they have clay feet which means that there are areas in their life that God is still dealing with them about. But let's go and talk about this. First, I want to talk about the the fact that David was passive in his presence. David is passive in his presence. For one, well, what does that mean? What do I mean when I say he was passive in his presence? It means that uh, presence is a state of being presently available um, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. All three of those things, which was God's design from the beginning, that the Father is there. And listen, I realize that, that not all of our stories are going to be the same. And some of us have lost our Father at a very young age, and we can address some of those things. But for the fathers that are, are still there and still 
in this world. This is God's design for them. In the presence of the Father, it provided three things. Well, what did it provide? It provided protection and provision and a picture. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor James? Uh, well, when you look at the protection, it's, uh, the Father's presence was to provide this protection from the evil and foolishness of others as well as protecting them from their own foolishness, the child from their own foolishness. I have to tell you that growing up in inner city St. Louis, there were times where I said, how in the world did I get myself in this situation? I wish my father was here. Help a brother out. I won't always make the best decisions. My full frontal lobe is not even fully developed. Somebody help a brother out. Making some foolish decisions here. David, he was supposed to be present in, the, in their life in such a meaningful way where they understood that, listen, they can depend on daddy to protect them from evil. There were days where I had people, maybe this is not your life, but it's my story. People that came to my house and people trying to get in and, and all of the ruckus and all of the chaos and noise of inner city living. There were days where I said, where is he at? I said, listen. The father is supposed to be there to, to help to protect from evil, but also the evil of the child. The idiom rings true when the cats away, the mice will play. And that's exactly what you have unfolding even in David's children's lives. Uh, you also have the, the father provides this picture of provision. This is what the, uh, how the, uh, the Jewish and the Hebrew people were, their society was arranged for their house codes. Uh, well, what, what do I mean by that? It wasn't just physical provision and partnership with the mother. It wasn't just, just that. It was also to offer emotional provision as well, as we'll see soon there. As we'll see soon. But there were things that stunted David's ability to provide present and dependable emotional support for Tamar or Absalom, for that matter, during the time when she was going through horrible circumstances. But also... A father's presence is supposed to provide a picture. There's a way in which a mother's presence is supposed to provide several things, but they share in this and they overlap as well, but this is one of the ways in which a father's presence is supposed to, to provide a picture. It provides a picture of what? Of God. It provides a picture of a God who's loving and a God who's present. And, and here's the thing, and some of us, we may be in touch with this, but often how we view God uh, is seen through the lens of how we view our fathers. If we see that our fathers, believe that our fathers are overbearing and that we have to be perfect in order to appease or in order to have him smile or give his approval to us, we often, we often project that onto God, always feeling that we cannot please God. And we're always in God's debt, and, and there's more that I need to do, and, and it's actually not an accurate picture. By this time in David's life, he had already been spread across uh, three different households. When I'm talking about these, these, these children, uh, these talk about two different um, uh, households, uh, with Absalom's and Tamar's mother, as well as with uh, Amnon's mother, and then he's going to have another person enter into the page, uh, to the picture, which is going to be Bathsheba, where Solomon is the son of Bathsheba. He spread across. He spread thin. My father, in the same exact way, I relate to this story on so many different levels. He says, Dad, how can you be present when you're spread so thin? He says, now here's the question I want to ask. Says, Listen, here's the question. Should we follow David in general? <laughs> 
Yes, we should follow David in general. Is he a man after God's own heart still? Yes, he is. However, every leader, as I've said, has clay feet. And I imagine that we'd all look to have perfect lives if Instagram was telling the story. Amen? Yeah, those snapshots tell a perfect story, don't it? We're always happy. We always have something great to do on Saturdays. Look at how happy we are. But the picture of perfect lives, they quickly burst when photos turn into video reels. Amen? Yeah. See, in the video, we learned that David, outside of a few hours on a Sunday morning, if he was in today's world, David has some deep things going on eternally that requires a big God to transform him. All of us will say that, listen, on my best days, you will think that I've ascended on high to to Mount Horeb, where Moses was hanging out at. However, let the video go. You will see all the struggles in my heart that my wife knows all too well. All of the pain that's that's telling a story that my body remembers. My body's keeping score of all the things that I've been through. As if you just play the tape. But also, if you play the tape of David's life, you will see that he was, in fact, a man after God's own heart, and he was broken over his sin. Broken over what has happened in his life. The presence of a father cannot be overstated this morning. This is consistently one of the greatest failures in America, especially in busy regions like the Bay. And perhaps you're here seeing James or, or Pastor Daniel. I want to be there. However, I often feel like this photo. I, I feel like uh, this person who is, if you have a photo, just imagine. Okay, there you go. Um, he says, listen, this is often what I feel like when I'm parenting. I feel like there's always something to do. I feel like there's always this next thing, and I feel pulled, and I'm so tired, and I know what that feels like. But this is where we have to be careful, brothers and sisters, and, and visitors in this place. There will always be something or someone buying for our energy and our attention, taking us from the things that matter most in the world. And work does that. And I, I get it. There's so much internal and external pressures that decreases your paternal bandwidth to be present, that the last thing you want to do sometimes is think about expending yourself on something or someone that's a lot more complicated. It's complicated and a lot more demanding than a nine-to-five. Oh, yeah, we say that, yeah, I I work at this place and I do this job. Oh, yeah, it's hard. Nothing, if we're honest, is more complicated than relationship. As a matter of fact, most of us, many of us, if we're honest, we will prefer work over the hard stuff of relationship. And guess what? And listen, there's no one thing that stands, there's no one person or someone standing there ready to applaud us when we do it right, when it's done behind closed doors, when we're doing it right. There's no accolades there like there is in job. Then the job said, hey, you did a good job with that customer. Hey, you wrote that beautiful program. Well, that's just beautiful. You get applauded and tapped on the back. Even pastors, we have our applauses at times as well. But there is someone that knows, apart from God. Child knows. The child knows. And according to the, the latest research, here's a couple of things that I just want to say real, real quick here as uh, this, this, this evidence of a passive presence and maybe sometimes even what's responsible for it. Listen, listen to this, this quote here. It says here that workaholism is the best dress addiction that camouflages the underlying addiction for everyone in the family. According to research, adults with a workaholic parent carry psychological scars that they are often unaware of. Maybe this was you, and maybe you can relate to me in this. Children of workaholics often grow into adults envied by everyone. 
responsible, achievement-oriented, able to take charge of any situation. At least that's how they appear to the outside world. But what's happening on the inside? Inside, they often feel like little kids who can never do anything right, holding themselves up mercilessly to standards of perfection. As PTSD, another study goes on to say that PTSD is a disordered response to trauma. And one manifestation of it is overlooking, or excuse me, overworking the need for constant busyness. Okay. It's so important to have that father present in the life of the child. And this, and I know how complicated it gets when there's arrangements and the relationship didn't work out, whatever the case is. But I'm talking to the father. Important for you to be in that child's life if that father is still alive. And uh, as I'm getting uh, ready to, to wrap up here, I have a couple more points here, but uh, let me just say that here's a couple more things I just want to say if it's in order for us to be convinced of this. Look, research shows that tweens and teens need the firm leadership of their father provides. A child performs better in school if his father takes an interest in his education. And children have more confidence when their fathers spend time with them to show them affection. This is what the, the, the research uh, bears out. And let me give you uh, these three things here that I think is going to be helpful. How do you do this in this crazy world? How do you do this and we fill the world uh, in terms of uh, how busy it is? We just do three things to practice presence in our household. Three things that's been helpful for us. And maybe you have some insight that would be just as helpful as well. Well, we do routine presence, random presence, and planned presence. Those are three things that we do when we practice presence. Well, what do you mean by routine presence? Uh, we have routine presence. We have family Fridays. We know on family Fridays, we're going to turn up, we're going to have some fun, and we know that that's the time that we protect. It's like we, we try to guard that time with, with everything within us. So maybe we're going to watch a movie, we're going to play a game, I'm going to dominate in Monopoly because I, I, I ain't no joke with Monopoly, that's right. I don't care if they're kids or not. No. He got a problem. That's some of my scores. Some of my scores. Um, um, uh, we do random presence as well. One of the best things that you can do with your, with your child, uh, I've, I've learned and, and research shows this, that sometimes I just show up in the living room uh, with no agenda. I'm just there. I see my son walking by, and I say, that, what's wrong with you? We got, we got an issue? And he knows that means, that means they put him up, man. That means that we're about to fight. We're about to wrestle on the floor. And then my daughter walks by. I'm telling her the same thing. Hey, you got a problem with me too? It's, routine. it's just random presence. They just say, like, no agenda here. And then what about planned presence? We have planned presence, and these are all the, the events that we do throughout the year when we just show up and say, that, hey, uh, we're going to the grocery store right now. I say, well, why does the grocery store have all these Disney signs up? Oh, surprise, we're going to Disney World, Disneyland. It's just presence is so important. Uh, the, uh, the last two points is going to be uh, much shorter than the first point, but we can't uh, underestimate how important that is. The second uh, thing um, is going to be David was passive and disciplined. Well, how so? The word discipline. The word discipline, is, in the Hebrew, it meant instructor, teacher, chest hire, or guide. It's, it's the act of instructing or teaching or chastising and guiding. Uh, there's content that's meant to be um, communicated through the act of discipline. Now, listen, let me just say this real quick because we're going to go through these, these next two points pretty quickly. Discipline takes energy. Amen? Yeah. It takes energy. There's times where I see something, I hear a big boom, I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't want to, I don't. Desiree say that, uh, who, what was that? I'm, I didn't hear nothing. <laughs> if you heard something, you might want to go check it out. You say, no, you heard that, get up. Oh, it takes energy. 
an energy that, that often we prefer not to dispense. However, it is absolutely necessary to do so. David did not discipline his children during, the, during these years, and, uh, and it, it just bubbled up into more, more uh, evil. Uh, 2 Samuel 13, 21, it says that when David heard all of this, and when he heard what happened about uh, with his daughter, it says that he was furious. David did not, he, it wasn't that he didn't feel anything. He was furious about what happened. But that's not discipline, is it? Being angry is not discipline. Being furious is not discipline, and it's, which tells us something, that, that discipline is not about anger or reacting, and we get angry. I, I made my mama angry. I made, uh, and my children can sometimes make me, you don't make me angry, you make me um, disappointed. <laughs> On my best days, it's not about anger or reacting. On my best days, I remember this. While on my poor days, I need to be reminded of it. I need my wife to say, that, hey, 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 take a break. Drop a knee. You know, let's huddle up for a second. Here are three things that I found most helpful uh, from Paul Tripp. Uh, he writes extensively about childhood. He wrote the shepherding uh, of a child's heart that I found very helpful. Let me just give you these three uh, quotes, and we'll move on to our next point. Um, he says that, listen, nothing is more important in your life than being one of God's tools to shape human souls. The world will try to fight against this with all their might. This is so important. He's looking at scriptures like Deuteronomy 6.4, that you are to love. We're called to love God with everything within us, all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he says that, as a matter of fact, rear your children up to love God as well. This is what God has called to all parents. He's calling this to the fathers. Discipline is a tool of guidance. Secondly, he says that the foolishness inside your children, don't be offended by that word, but the foolishness inside your children is more dangerous to them than the temptation outside of them. And sometimes we focus so much on what we want our children not to see and and not to be affected by on the outside, but we forget about the inside. He says that it is so important that we focus on the inside of what's going on in that child meaning that it is important for us to live from the inside out and not the outside in, meaning that translation, don't be so over, overly concerned with outside and how they look, how they perform. Because what happens is we all grow up to become more sophisticated at performance. God wants something deeper, something of the heart on the inside. Thirdly, you must be committed as a parent. This is another quote. We must be committed as a parent to a long view parenting because change is a process and not an event. And as a parent, you're not dealing with just bad behavior, but a condition that causes that behavior. And so what what that means is that um, when we talk to our kids, what we've learned from other research and and also other people that's done it uh, longer than us, we've learned that, listen, um, discipline is about love. I, I, I love you, which is why I'm disciplining you. Uh, this, this scripture tells it all in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9 through 11. What does it say? It reminds us that besides this, it says, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not uh, much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed uh, best, it says. It says, I'm getting older, I forgot. He says, uh, I can't see that for anymore. <laughs> All right, getting, getting old, man. As it seemed best to them, but the discipline, um, he, he disciplines us for our good that we may share 
his holiness. Leslie says here that for the moment all discipline, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And it says, listen, we're not talking about a discipline that is abusive or manipulative. We're talking about something that is love-centered, which is why when I'm talking with our kids, they have to understand why the discipline. When I discipline our kids, we have, to, we have discussions about certain actions, and more importantly, the why of the action, which you'll be there a long time trying to figure out the why, because they don't know why they did it. I don't know why I did it either when I was their age either. Uh, when, they, when they lose a privilege, like video games or screen time, we have a discussion about it to make sure they understand why they are being disciplined. The goal of parenting is not to control the control of behavior, as Paul Tripp says, but rather heart and life change. We want that for them because we love them. And lastly, David was, listen, he was passive when it came to his presence in a meaningful way in this situation. And David was passive in his discipline, but David was also passive in crisis. David was passive in crisis. I'll, I'll close with this. I just had a conversation with my father recently. And in this conversation with my, my father, um, he felt overwhelmed when he had learned about all the things that I had experienced. And not all of them, but, but he got a taste of all the things that I experienced or many of the things I experienced in life. Many of the, the, the things that was experienced in the hidden places of, of my life, he just wasn't aware of it because he wasn't present. It overwhelmed him to the point of tears. And he says, I can't believe that I wasn't there. He was passive even the crisis that I experienced in life. And those are such important times in the life of a child. It's a time in our life where we feel most tempted to feel despair and alone in this world and feel a sense that we're not protected. Will anybody come to protect us? Does anyone see and this too takes energy. It takes energy to be there and present for our kids. And I'll just say this here. When my middle school daughter has another crisis from school with her friends, talking to her friends, the latest story of this or that, maybe it's not a crisis for me, but it's a crisis for her. Or my son's world turns upside down when he loses a game. They have to know that they can trust me with their feelings, and they have to know that their father is there for them, even in crisis. And I don't think Absalom or Tamar knew that with David. David has some things going on that he desperately needed God to free him of. David needed help here. And, and maybe you're here right now, and you fall into two of these categories here. As we close our time. Maybe you fall in the category to say that, listen, I am David. I'm like David in this, and, and, I'm, and I've been so passive in my life with my children. Well, the beauty about this is the same thing that God offered to David was this line and this means to repentance in forgiveness that will free them up that they can start to try to make things right that they have gotten so wrong, that we've gotten so wrong for so long. And maybe you're the, the child of that. Maybe you say that, listen, no, I'm more of the, the Absalom, and, and I'm more of the, the, the Tamar, and more, most importantly, Tamar, where I've experienced the, the passivity of a parent and the passivity of their love, their presence, 
This I've experienced that too. Listen, here's something that I want to give you. I want to leave you with this as before I give this scripture. That when you talk about patterned behavior in your life that's unhealthy and doesn't lead to flourishing, one thing to be reminded of is that, listen, sins need to be repented of. However, wounds need to be healed. And maybe that's you here. You said, listen, I, I realize that there are some gaps in my life because of my relationship with my father. I think there's healing there that God can make available through his spirit. God can make us anew. And this is part of why Jesus came, not only to provide an example of what it means to be the perfect son and the perfect child of God, but also to reconcile us to this God who is a father to us. And, and here's the thing. He said, listen, my, my father wasn't there. And I have some wounds in my, in my body, in my life, because my father wasn't there. There's ways in which God can fill the gaps of our lives in ways that doesn't make sense to us, but he's able to do it. And I've seen him do it in my life. From the story, I don't know why it makes sense that I'm loving and faithful and grounded and anchored by a loving wife and beautiful children. It doesn't make sense according to the world, but God transformed me and made it possible. Let me read this, and I'll leave you with Romans 8 before I pray for us. This is what Jesus came to do, to reconcile us to a loving Father. Listen to what Paul says about this Jesus who reconciles us. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. So that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption, the sonship, to show our daughters and our children and our sons as well. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. You know what that means? It means daddy. That because of what Christ did, we get to have this relationship with a, a greater father. We say we can call him daddy because he's present and he's there and he makes us whole. And I want to pray for you. And there's going to be prayer as you guys have weekly at the end, if you need prayer, and maybe some of you are now coming to the, to the, the point where you say, that, listen, I now see, and I don't care how old you are, uh, that could still be true in your life that you recognize that there are some things that I've been dealing with for all my whole life that I haven't connected the dots on. There's prayer for you today. And maybe there's other things that need to happen with counseling, pastoral counseling, other counseling. But I want to pray for you because there's something that God could do with your story that will help to liberate so many people, including preachers like me. Let me pray for you. Father, we're so, Lord, one, we want to acknowledge our own brokenness like David did in Psalm 51. He said, this thing that I'm seeing the consequences of in my own life, I see that I'm responsible for some of this going on in my life. A lot of it going on. But David says that, Lord, I repent and I lay myself bare before you, Lord. Search me, God. Know my ways. See if there's anything unclean within me. David says, Lord, and we say that to you today. Father, help us. We know that we cannot be good fathers or good parents um, in the way that you have designed it, brother. Apart from your spirit, help us, Lord. And Lord, I also pray, God, for us, Lord, that's been on the other end of Sometimes parents that mean well, but they lack the strength and know-how. Well, we also pray for healing. Lord, we pray, God, for holy and courageous conversations. 
Lord, we pray, God, that repentance happens and reconciliation happens. Lord, most of all, God, that we are so deeply connected to your love through your spirit that we can come and become whole and healed as a result of giving it all to you. Lord, we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.